This podcast is a quest for well-being, a quest for a meaningful life through the exploration of fundamental truths, enlightening ideas, insights on physical, mental, and spiritual health. The inspiration is love. The aspiration is to awaken new ways of thinking that can lead us to a new way of being. Being well. Welcome to Body, Mind, and Soul Healing Conversations. Suffering is not an act, it is an experience. Suffering can have no meaning without the participation of the self. Suffering cannot happen without the involvement of the self. Valeria Telly's interviews Avi Ra, the author of The Silent Path, Awaken to Your Highest Possibility. Very rarely, one comes across an individual who possesses such diverse experiences as that of Avi. Avi is a science and business graduate. He pursued his passion for human psychology by completing his NLP master's. He is a gluttonous reader of books, an intense meditator, and a spiritual teacher. A burning passion to know the intricate functioning of the human mind has been the driving force of his life. He quit his well-paying financial analyst job at Thomas Reuters to pursue his passion for self-inquiry. The amazing depth of his understanding of life comes from his experiential inner journey. Avi is the founder of Meditation Farm which is transforming lives by offering meaningful and impactful programs for self-transformation. He has delivered talks to individuals and corporate organizations on diverse subjects ranging from stress relief, happiness, leadership, communication, self-realization, meditation, and more. Avi moved to America in 2017. Since arriving here, he founded Meditation Farm to help America de-stress, relax, and go beyond the abysmal mental health situation it currently is in. He is on a mission to help people discover a stress-free and creative lifestyle filled with energy, enthusiasm, contentment, and joy through the path of meditation. More than all that Avi has accomplished, he is a wonderful human being at heart. He has now dedicated his entire life for helping people find their inner strength. Avi currently lives in Crab Orchard, Tennessee, where he is building the first meditation center. He regularly travels around the country delivering lectures and talks. His talks are currently being transcribed into several books. Meet Avi at avira.org. Here is the interview with Avi Ra. In your own words, who is Avi Ra? <laughs> <laughs> that might take 30 minutes, so why not? 
interesting question. It's it's a question that has never been asked in, in that way as to who is Avira. They've, they've asked, people have asked about my journey and, you know, um, how did I get into meditation? How much time I spent in meditation? What did I realize? But you're asking a direct question about who I am, you know, what is my name associated with? You know, the way I look at it, we are images, reflections of that essence that is beyond our grasp, at least beyond the grasp of our senses. So I identify Avi Ra with just that image, the reflection of uh, something inside us, something within us, which uh, you know we can find only through a process, through a journey. But apart from that, in the most simplistic sense, I am a meditation teacher. I love sharing the knowledge and wisdom that I have gained through the process of looking within. As far as my individuality is concerned, how how strongly I identify with it. In the spiritual sense, you know, I am just, as you rightly call, just a messenger. I have found something unimaginable, something valuable. Uh, I feel that is worth sharing you know, for the benefit of people. And I identify myself fully with that task of being an instrument to present or be a voice to that silent self within us. So what are the ways, doesn't speak with words, right, Avi? Does he use different ways of communication, symbolism? Would you say that even us, the image of what we think we are, this is already a, um, a way, an expression of that silent self? Right. Because the sound uh, language at the end of the day uh, is just sounds. It's sounds that don't really mean anything existentially. If existence were to actually listening to us, uh, it would not be able to make sense of what we are trying to say. In fact, better because we would be sending confusing messages to existence. You know, it's better that existence understands only silence and silence alone. In that sense, it can do what it is supposed to do. It can do what it's meant to do without worrying about the noise that we as human beings create. Now, language is noise primarily because it is trying to grasp something which is beyond its reach. The human mind is limited and conditioned to understand only a few things. That includes our senses. We can only perceive so much. Truth is always on the outskirts of our perception. Right. It is always right there, but slightly beyond the reach of our words. So the way the self communicates, it's always through a silent intensity. Now, silence, we tend to think as absence of noise. Right. But that is not the case. Silence has its own intensity, its own gradation. Silence can be a little silent and more silent. 
even silence can be noisy. Silence itself is a quality by in itself. So we normally tend to look at silence as a negative space created by the absence of sound. That is our way of looking at silence. But existential silence is totally different. Existential silence is filled with something. It is not the absence of something. Rather, it is filled with silence itself. Now, in fact, the word silence can be misleading because we identify silence with absence of sounds. With existence, it's almost like a presence that doesn't need any announcement, a presence that doesn't need any other medium to communicate with the creatures of existence other than through the self, other than through the intentions of the self, the desire of the self. It's as simple as, you know, you're at the crossroads, you t- you see two paths and you have to choose between one or the other. Now, you don't have to articulate this. Intuitively, even when you don't articulate, you can pick a path. You will pick a path. True. Now, how is that happening? Without words, without ideas, what is prompting you to go in one direction as opposed to the other? Now, that is the self. The self knows what is right. It knows what we need. The only challenge is learning how to listen to the self amidst of all the noise and chaos and confusion of the mind. When we try to listen to the self, our mind interferes immediately because our mind is there to protect not us, but our self-image. So the mind really doesn't care whether we are enlightened or not, whether we are walking the right path or not. Mind is interested in just protecting that self-image that we have conditioned it to protect. And the conversations of the mind are always surrounding that self-image. So the direction our mind gives us, the suggestions our mind gives us, the questions it wants us to ask, the answers it provides, everything is limited to that conditioning. That is why silence is such a profound and transformative experience, because once you begin to listen to silence, you realize that you can transcend your mind and connect with something eternal that is within you. You can connect with an oceanic consciousness, which has no limits, which has no bounds. Your mind and body is just a blade of grass, you know, moving in the wind when compared to the earth, which is the consciousness. So the ephemeral nature of the mind and the body and the self-protective nature of the mind and body becomes very clear when we begin to observe it from the backdrop of silence. So silence to me is not just absence of sound, but completeness that is complete by itself. That is wonderful. I never heard it that way. And I love the title of your book, (laughs) The Silent Path, Awaken to Your Highest Possibility. So just the word, by listening to the word silence, silent, or looking at it, it kind of evokes some sort of um, energetic thought or insight 
Silence and intuition, they are connected, right, Avi? Absolutely, absolutely. Intuition, in a way, is the language of silence. Mm, right, it, right. It is an expression without using words, without using thoughts, but it's very real. Yeah. In fact, it's more real than the words that we use. Intuition is more real. It, it guides us in more ways than we can using words. True. And I love the way you said that. Um, you said listening to silence, when we learn to listen, that is such a powerful uh, way of understanding life, listening to silence. Silence, I mean, yeah. amazing. What do you think, or from your insights, what is the opposite to life? See, life is the only thing that doesn't have its opposite. Mm. It is impossible for life to have an opposite. Now, we tend to think death is the opposite of life. Right. But no, death is the opposite of a life form. Mm. A life form can experience death. The form has an end. The body has an end to it. So we tend to confuse the end of the body to the end of life. True. But in reality, life is the only thing which, which cannot have an opposite. Now, this goes back to the ancient uh, Dvaita philosophy, the ancient Hindu philosophy, which says the entire human construct, everything we see, everything we perceive happens through duality. We cannot perceive something without perceiving its opposite. For example, light. Now, we cannot perceive light without perceiving darkness. In a way, we know light only because we know darkness. True. Nobody has ever, ever seen light. As you know, obvious and as surprising as this may sound, we never actually see light. Okay. We only see the absence of light and presence of light. Mm, yeah. Yeah. Which is again a part of the same duality. It is the same with good and bad, right and wrong, up and down, left and right. They are all supporting each other. One way to know if the phenomenon of life that is happening around us, if it is real or if it is just imagined, if it is illusionary, is to find something that never changes. Mm, yeah. If you actually think about it, if something is changing, then it is not real. It cannot be real because it has no basis in the present moment. It is not rooted in the present moment. For example, the wave of the ocean. Now, as much as it appears to be real to us, a wave is just only a phenomenon. The ocean is a reality, but wave by itself cannot exist without the ocean. It has no independent reality of its own. It's the same with the life forms. It's the same with our perception. It's the same with everything that we are perceiving. Nothing exists independently by themselves. They have to be supported by their opposites, you know, for them to be possible for us to perceive. Life itself is different. Life is complete. It has no opposites to it. And in fact, people have asked me, what is the source of life? You know, where does it come from? Yeah. Now, again, that question comes from the same thought process where we tend to think 
the life that we are experiencing should have come from somewhere. So in a way, what we are saying is there is a limitless source somewhere from where I am getting this part of my life. That is where my question comes from. I want to know what is the limitless source of life. For example, if we were to ask the source of anything, where did it come from? Indirectly, we are asking, where is this thing available abundantly in unlimited form, right? Now, life is unlimited right here and right now because the center of life is everywhere and at all times. We are never out of the center of life. We can never step away from the center of life. We can try as much as we want, but it's impossible to step away from life. So in a sense, the source of life is life itself. And anything that has a source as itself cannot have its opposites. It cannot have an opposite. So life simply is just the way it is. We can perceive it in our own way. We can identify with it in our own way. But that unchanging phenomenon that we call life is the only reality. For example, you were you when you were five, when you were 10, when you are now. Your form has changed, your appearance has changed, your thought processes have changed, but the perception of you has never changed. Now, that perception of I is the self which has no opposite to it. Just as life has no opposite to it, the self has no opposite to it. Even if you were to be a twin, a conjoined twin, your sense of individuality, your sense of perception of I is completely independent from your twin, which means there cannot be another you. That by in, in itself says that life is self and both have no opposites to them. What is the purpose of the human experience? Again, there are two purposes. One is the purpose that we are born with, the purpose that is inbuilt into the phenomenon of life that we can never change, we can only discover. The other one is the purpose that we create for ourselves through the mind. These two are completely different things. Now, if you were to be asking, what is the purpose of my life as, as this individual, as this mind, as this body, then the answer is to find the highest possible creative expression where that mind and body can feel one with whatever it is trying to accomplish. Now, when I use the word creative expression, I mean to say all that you can do that can eventually nourish your your spirit, that can make you feel like, I am in my element, I am in my zone. So in the simplistic sense, the purpose of life is simply what we have conditioned. For example, the purpose of a dancer might be to dance. The purpose of a singer might be to sing, a painter to paint. Now, if they can find completion in that particular task, now that becomes their purpose. But we should never confuse this purpose with the real purpose of the self or the real purpose of the life. Real purpose of life is always to transcend the ephemeral phenomenon of mind and body. 
the ultimate purpose of human life is to find the source of life, find the unchanging, stable ground of life. Every moment, our lives are changing. Every moment, our mind is changing, our body is changing, our environment is changing. No two moments are ever the same. And yet, there is something within us, if we pay a little close attention to it, we can realize that there is something within us that is not changing. Now, the purpose of human existence is to find that, is to find that single moment of perception where you are perceiving nothing but life itself. Mm. All the time we are perceiving something. We are perceiving life forms. We are perceiving the images and expressions of life. It's almost like we are perceiving the shadow, but not the light itself. Now, when it becomes clear that we are living in the shadow, see, life is beautiful. Life provides us all that we are searching for. But at the end of the day, it is still a reflection of something larger. Our life is just a reflection of something much bigger that is shaping our lives. So in a way, we are shadows of the light that is moving us, light of consciousness, light of awareness, light of silence, light of the self. The purpose of life, whether we want it or not, life always pushes us as much as possible closer and closer toward realizing ourselves. Now, it can happen in one lifetime, it can happen in 10 lifetimes, but eventually the process of learning is really to help us know more about ourselves so that we can eventually connect with that pure self of ours. So the purpose of the mind and the purpose of the self are two completely different things. Purpose of the mind is very worldly and it is about the conditioning. If you have been conditioned to be a dancer, you will be a dancer. If you've been conditioned to be a painter, you'll be a painter. You're not born with it. It's conditioned. It's a habit that you have picked up. But the ultimate purpose of life itself is not conditioned. We didn't pick it up. We are born with it. That is the purpose of finding out the true nature of who we are. In your book, you wrote, knowing the difference between you and your thoughts is one of the hardest things to do. Why is it so challenging? And two, what are thoughts? See, it's challenging because we have conditioned ourselves to listen to answers in words, in sentences, in ideas. And the idea of the self, what we call us, what I call me, that itself is a part of that idea. My self-image is a part of that idea. When I stand in front of the mirror, I am not looking at me, but I'm looking at an idea of me. In fact, we never see anything other than the idea of what we are trying to see. So when we meet a person Although we tend to think that we are actually looking at that person, we are having a conversation, we are sort of engaging with the self-reflection of our own image of that person. Mm -hmm. We are imagining a certain person, we are imagining a certain conversation, and we engage with that. So in that sense, since ideas have become our reality. We have substituted our reality to ideas. 
we don't have a backdrop against which to observe the ideas. And that is why it is so difficult to observe a thought because every time we make an attempt to watch a thought, we notice that it's only another thought that is trying to watch another thought. It's not the self that is watching the thought. Mm. It's another thought interfering with that process. For example, let's say if you sit quiet, close your eyes, and for a few moments you decide not to engage in any thought process. You just want to be silent. You just tell your mind, I want to be silent. Immediately, the mind will begin to qualify that action. It will ask, are you silent now? Is this silence? Is this enough silence? Can I do something? Because the mind does not understand anything else apart from ideas. So it tends to think even silence is an idea. So just like this creature has been searching for so many different things, now it is searching for silence. Let me see how I can offer it. Without realizing that it is totally incapable of providing us what we need, especially silence, stillness. All that is in the present moment can never be provided by the mind because the mind is always oscillating between the past and the future. Mind is a perfect stranger to the present moment. Mind doesn't even know that present moment exists. Mind only knows the past and the future and it tries to be a mediator between the past and the future. It constantly picks up our past experiences and tries to connect it to the future to give us the self-image of life. But it can never allow us to fully settle into the present moment. That is why a spiritual process, a meditative process, is imperative to be able to observe our thoughts. Because when we begin to observe our thoughts, by the very nature of our mind, by the very nature of how we have conditioned it, we are never watching the thoughts. Rather, we are only watching the chaos of thoughts. We can never isolate and watch a thought. A thought is always connected to multiple thoughts. So when you try to isolate a thought, it doesn't like it. You know, right. It's like it always wants to be with other thoughts. In fact, that is how it conceals its identity, by giving us an impression that it is something other than what it is. If we are able to isolate a thought, then we can observe it. The moment we isolate a thought and we are able to observe it, it disappears because a thought cannot exist by itself. Right. Similarly, no object of existence can exist by itself. A tree cannot exist without the sky. The sky cannot exist without the clouds. In our imagination, we can assume that they all are independent, but they're all together. But in reality, they're all dependent on each other for their basic identity. You know, it's like when we begin to paint, even before we begin painting, we need to figure out the backdrop on which we're gonna paint. So the beauty of the painting is completely dependent on the backdrop. If the backdrop is already noisy, already chaotic, if it is already painted, then it doesn't matter how beautiful a painting we try to paint on it, it will still look ugly. It's the same with meditation. When we try to sit and close our eyes, although we want to see the beauty of our nature, we want to see the beauty of our mind, because we are not observing it through the backdrop of silence, 
because we are observing it through the backdrop of the noise of the mind, everything looks very chaotic. Everything looks very confusing. And therein it's a, itself is the challenge. Now, the challenge is to do a painting on another painting and show it to people and ask them to appreciate it. They would not be able to because they would not know <laughs> how to separate the painting from the backdrop. Similarly, we would not be able to separate our thoughts from the backdrop of silence. And hence, everything looks very confusing. That is why initially when people begin to meditate, when they begin observing their minds, more than relaxing, it actually disturbs their mind. Mm, yeah. And it's only over a period of time, once you acknowledge and accept this disturbance and settle with it, slowly over a period of time, the noise settles down to reveal certain images that are independent by themselves, certain deeper perceptions that are not connected to anything, the perception of I, the perception of stillness, the perception of being in the present moment. All these, instead of being intermixed with the thoughts, we would be able to experience them independently over a period of time. Initially, it's always a challenge. So what is a thought? A thought is emptiness. A thought has no reality of its own. A thought has no uh, existential basis. A thought is simply an intermediary phenomenon between where you are and where you want to go. So a thought is always an unresolved problem. <laughs> right. It is always huh. that, that flux. It's like almost a thought is the energy between two waves. Yeah. Now, we cannot see the thought, but we can see the waves. Yeah. And by the nature of the wave, we can understand the nature of the energy. So if the wave is bigger, we assume that the energy that is pushing that wave is bigger. It's the same with us. By the nature of how our mind reacts, we assume the thought. Yeah. But when we actually try and observe a thought, when we go deeper into it and isolate a thought, we'll realize that it was never there. You know, there's, there's a beautiful story, right? It's like you see a rope in the darkness and you look at it and you mistake it for a snake and you get scared. And then when you turn on the light, you realize that it was just a rope lying there. It was not a snake. But if you actually think about it, a rope, which is not a snake, actually induced fear just like a snake would, just as a snake would. True. So which means something that is not real can create real experiences. It need not be always real for it to feel real. Something completely imaginary, completely illusionary, a pure construct of our mind, which has no basis in reality, can hold our lives, can guide it, can direct it, at the same time can completely keep us in bondage. Mm. A thought, in a way, is the tether that holds us to life, that imaginary tether. Beyond the imaginary tether is the reality. Now, to be able to see that, we have to transcend the chaos, the noise of the mind. We have to transcend the ultimate thought, the I thought, 
a lot of times people who have spent let's say six months or a year in meditation they ask okay now i can connect with silence i can sit quiet and i have no thought in my mind mm-hmm. i am absolutely blank i asked them all right but who is sitting who is sitting in meditation well <laughs> there that is your thought the very idea that you are sitting is a thought mm-hmm. the very idea that you are meditating is a thought right. because we are completely surrounded by thoughts and thoughts are there all the time they are that much more harder to observe i mean i give this example it's like uh, the fish in the ocean a fish can observe everything except water fish in the ocean has no perception of water we have a perception of water because we come from land but a fish has no necessity to recognize water so it doesn't even know that it's in water mm. not because of absence of water but because of sheer abundance of it now we find it hard to observe thoughts not because of lack of thoughts but because of sheer abundance of it because they are everywhere and all the time there's no way for us to isolate a thought and say this is a thought in your book you say always remember that the mind is the seat of fear and the heart is the seat of certainty and peace what is happiness to you Mm. See, happiness is a momentary rest from pain. Happiness is momentary escape from reality. Mm. You know, happiness, yes, happiness is positive. It appears like we are searching for happiness all the time. Yeah. But for me, happiness cannot be the highest goal or purpose of life. it's like all right i'm happy i'm happy all the time what next yeah <laughs> happiness yeah. is a quest we quest for happiness because we cannot be happy all the time if we can be happy all the time we would not even like it yeah <laughs> because life is so more than just being happy sadness has its own beauty pain has its own beauty True. simply happiness has its own beauty now happiness is just a momentary mental titillation you know it's just a momentary it's it's almost like the tickling of the mind yeah it's good in moments it's good when it happens without your knowledge it's good when it happens accidentally but if it is there all the time it becomes annoying yeah <laughs> because it uh, hides life you know when we are happy we actually cannot see things clearly we are in a clouded state right. life requires a certain clarity a state of emptiness you know that is why meditation and the silence that meditation can create has always been valued a lot more than happiness right yeah that is why meditation teachers if they are really wanting the individual to ultimate the experience or experience the ultimate they are never taught how to be happy mm-hmm. because the teachers realize that whether you want it or not you will find happiness that you will lose eventually in fact life is a zero sum game of happiness 
the amount of happiness, the amount of sadness that you experience is exactly the same. And each and every individual experiences it exactly the same. This might sound completely contradictory to what we generally accept. What I'm saying is we cannot be any more happier than another person. Mm, We can choose to acknowledge happiness. We can choose to acknowledge sadness. We can choose to dwell on it longer. But the amount of happiness, the amount of sadness is is almost, it's always a given. There's nothing you can change there. I mean, I'll I'll give a reason as to why. Because we have not consciously chosen our experiences. You know, life is a happening. We acknowledge this happening. When happiness happens to us, we acknowledge it. When sadness happens, we acknowledge it but we have no power to actually create them. There is no direct way of creating happiness. If, if, if it was possible, then all our problems would end immediately. Mm-hmm, true. Why worry about all the other things? Just find out how to be happy and just be happy. True. It's not possible because happiness is not meant to be in our control. It is just meant to happen. In fact, the more unconscious we are, the more unaware we are of the phenomenon of life, we have a greater tendency of experiencing intense moments of happiness. For example, a child. Now, an adult can never experience the kind of happiness a child experiences because of how much we know. For example, a simple toy can completely brighten a child's moment. But for an adult, the same toy might do nothing. Why? Because we know so much more. We have become so much more aware of life. So in a way, happiness and unawareness go hand in hand. The more unaware you are of life, the more chances you will be extraordinarily happy in moments. Similarly, you'll be extraordinarily sad in moments. But both will be beyond your control. And to me, happiness is something we should never search for. I mean, it it sounds ridiculous, but rather we should be searching for life, searching for the completeness of life. And we should be searching for our presence in everything. Let's say when, when we are sad, we can either ask for happiness or we can bring our presence to that sadness to understand it. Now, when we bring our presence to sadness, surprisingly, sadness disappears because the self and sadness cannot exist together. Similarly, self and happiness cannot exist together. When you are fully rooted in the present moment, you are above and beyond all the ephemeral emotions, Mm. including happiness and sadness you are in touch with what I call bliss. Mm. Now, bliss is something totally different. A person who's in deep meditation or an enlightened mystic or somebody who's found something tremendous within them, if you look at their face, they're not happy. They're blissful. Now, that is what we are searching for. We tend to think that we are looking for happiness, but what we are really searching for is bliss. That is why even if happiness were to be given to us for free, we would not want it all the time. Mm. You know, 
that is why let's say what would you consider happiness to be comfort or danger naturally comfort to be comfortable is to be happy but how many of us try to run away from comfort how often do we try to put ourselves in dangerous situations willfully so that we can discover something more about ourselves mm-hmm. why do we paraglide why do we do bungee jumping why because not because we want to be happy it's because we want to connect with that bliss connect with that something that cannot be expressed in words i really like this word too bliss and i usually use the word joy would you connect bliss to joy somehow yes 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 again joy is very different from happiness yeah, yeah. you know joy is a lot more lasting you know and you can you can have control over joy but happiness is very fleeting yeah true it just comes and goes yes joy bliss you know deeper connection with life but definitely something positive what is the meaning of freedom to you what is to be free avi see to be free is to know that we always have a choice and to exercise that choice now for me choice is freedom if you give me freedom and if you tell me you don't have a choice but to enjoy this freedom then that is not freedom to me that is bondage so even freedom can become bondage when it is not presented to me with a choice so ultimately the ultimate freedom is not even freedom but the choice to choose freedom the choice to exercise our desire or exercise our right for something even life even the all the experiences of life that we crave for if it is to be given to me without my ability to exercise my choice if i am not given a choice to pick and choose my experiences now that is bondage to me now for me ultimate freedom is to know when to think and when not to think because if you want to be free and if you don't know how to turn off your thought process then you can never be free because you're always subservient to your thoughts true so true the moment we exercise our choice to be and not to be that is ultimate freedom when we can choose to exist at the same time choose not to exist i'm not talking in terms of ending life i'm not talking about suicide i'm talking about the choice right at this very moment to be or not to be to be aware or not to be aware to perceive or not to perceive at the most fundamental level we have a choice about everything to exercise that choice we need to know how to turn off our thought processes so if you ask me what is ultimate freedom it happened to me almost 3 and 1/2 years into my meditation you know i used to spend nothing less than 8 hours every day in meditation i mean i didn't i don't know how i did that but i was in that state you know every day just like people go to work and come back after a 8 hour shift i used to go into meditation for 8 hours of course i used to take breaks 
I never used to sit for more than one hour at a time. But I had a lot of time. I used to meditate late into the night all the time. So at the end of about three and a half years, that moment came, you know, without me asking for it, just that much of meditation. For the first time, there were no thoughts and there was nothing to experience. Because there was nothing to experience, there was no perception of I. There was no me. There is no me who's sitting there in meditation. There is no me who's searching for enlightenment. There is no me who's trying to understand life. In that single moment when I was thoughtless, life became clear. This is what life is. It's just like when we are in the presence of light all the time and when we are being explained, when people are telling us, this is what light is, this is what light can do. At the end of all that explanation, if they simply turn off the light, I would know more about light in that moment than in all those explanations. So that single moment when I was thoughtless, I knew what life was more than through all my reading and all my explorations for the last 20, 25 years. So that moment to me is the ultimate freedom. When I figured out that I do have a choice whether to think or not to think, that to me is ultimate freedom. Um, so you wrote the book, The Silent Path, Awaken to Your Highest Possibility. And you're also the founder of Meditation Farm. Talk to me for a moment about the Meditation Farm. Okay. Yeah. Now, I live here in uh, Tennessee, in Crab Orchard. So we, we are trying to build a meditation center here on a 20-acre farm. We're, we're building the first meditation hall. But ultimately, my vision is to have a place where people can come to spend some time in silence and, you know, discover themselves. A lot of times, meditation is about stepping away from the noise and chaos of life. So I thought if we can create an environment where uh, people can just come, be free, explore, ask questions, know more about life, that would be the best thing that I can do. So meditation farm is, it's quite literally a farm oh, here. Yeah, yeah. And uh, it was a farm. And I just brought meditation to it. What a beautiful vision. Thank you. Where can we find more information about you, your books, products, services, and future projects? Okay. Uh, you can visit uh, my website. Uh, there are two websites. One is meditationfarm.org, meditationfarm.org. Or you can go to avira.org, A-V-I-R-A-A dot O-R-G. So, my books and my teachings, the basic synopsis of who I am, what, what I teach, it's all in the website there, avira.org. Wonderful. I'll have that link also on your podcast profile. Thank you so much again for your timeless wisdom, transcended wisdom, your peaceful presence, everything that you do, the visions you have. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Thank you so much. We'll talk soon. Bye for now, Avi. Bye-bye. Bye. Thank you for listening. To learn more about Avi Ra and his work, please visit aviRa.org. 
To learn more about this podcast, please visit fitforjoy.org/podcast. Thank you again for listening and bye for now.